Hello and welcome to the Believe Crew podcast. The business is you. I'm Jamie White, founder of Believe Crew and your host. Let's jump right in. This is Dave Haytag with Edgerton Gear out of Wisconsin. And I met Dave. He was a speaker at an event. And originally I wasn't planning on, you know, staying for the speaker portion. And Dave just really spoke to my heart. Uh, good thing my video was off because I was ugly crying in the background. And so I've really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better and seeing what his business is about and the impact that he's making. And so I would love for all of you to hear a little bit more of his story. So Dave, welcome. And Thanks, Jamie. I know we've kind yeah. of been talking back and forth here about everything. Usually I ask people, you know, how did you get started in this? So you can start wherever you'd like, because the other thing we've been talking about is your craftsman course and yeah. where that's going. So start wherever you'd like. Well, I, I think a good place to start is, um, and thanks for having me, by the way. It's always fun to talk to you. You know, my story um, goes way, way back when I was I was a struggling teenager. Grew up in a mm-hmm. home where my, my father, uh, great business guy, but uh, he, he struggled with alcoholism. He was an atheist. My mother was a very devout believer. So I grew up in this home that was, you know, kind of split and and very challenging to understand what I believe and why. So I followed my dad's footsteps for quite a while, uh, drank a lot and had a radical uh, conversion experience when I was 19. And then everybody says, well, gosh, if you're this zealous for faith and for the Lord, you must, you're going to go into the ministry, right? What's the ministry? <laughs> Define the ministry and everybody, right. you know, oh, you're going to go to church work. And um so I was, I was one of those kids that would probably have been one of them voted least likely to do anything, <laughs> go to college, go to anything. And it, it's funny, you look back and 40 years later, um, you know, I ended up going to college, I ended up going to graduate school, I ended up getting a doctorate, ended up writing a book and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But the one place I swore, and if you knew, if you know me, no, I'm not an academic person. Um, my, my real identity is in a big way, I'm a machinist, I'm a gear maker. Yeah. Um, and I, I got challenged. God called me back to the family business, which was incredibly dysfunctional. Uh, a quarter barrel of beer in the lunchroom fridge, pornography everywhere. And my wife and I thought, well, we come. God's calling us back here for maybe two years, five years at the most. And this year we celebrate year thirty. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and it's and it's been an incredible faith journey to see how. I, the way I put it is my hole in my faith was could god work in a blue collar business could he help my family and when i was in california i was actually a youth pastor in a large mega church uh went on a lot of mission trips we've been involved in honduras mexico a number of different places and i could see god work in all these really cool things inner city la and in tijuana and these different countries but could god actually work Mm -hmm. in my family right i think that's that's a challenge a lot of us have. It's easier, easier often to go out away from, from these places that, that wounded us so deeply, which, right. right? And so I often say that, that I think God brings us, I had, I had a mentor who, who would say that God often returns us to the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh. And, and you look at, <laughs> right? And you look at scripture right. though, and, and you see it. You see Moses, you see Apostle Paul. Um, you see these instances over and over where God brings people back to where um, mm-hmm. he really grew them up and, and it was painful. And he wants us to be back in those situations to 
And oftentimes yep. when we're trying to run away, especially, like what is it that we need to deal with? Who is it that we need to become to be able to be back in those situations? And I know I've been working through a lot of forgiveness myself and yeah. just being able to say good morning to someone is actually, <laughs> uh, you know, a big accomplishment. And it and, and when it yep. doesn't, when it doesn't feel like I have to try where it's actual forgiveness, it's like, whew, that feels much yeah. better. And I, and I still have those situations I'm dealing with, you know, whether it's extended family or, or people mm -hmm. in our, in our own city and our, that we grew up with, um, times I have to forgive myself. Right. Uh, it, That's the big it's, one. Yeah. And it, I think it's easy, easier. Let me qualify that. Um, mm -hmm. when we can get out of our home places, you know, but yeah. when we have to deal with the people that knew us so many years ago, um, it's it, so it's 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 been a fascinating journey that I'm still here, and now it's to the point I can't ever imagine leaving because this yeah. has become such a happy, safe place uh, for us to see the growth. Do you think that when you felt you and your wife felt that it was that two to five year journey, do you think that in a way that was God's way of being like, I'm gonna kind of um, protect you from the reality? Like, would you have come back <laughs> if you knew it was thirty? <laughs> oh my gosh, no. I, I think it was, I think he totally baited us. Yeah. Right. right. It does yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think a lot of it had to do with, I didn't want to even admit that it could be longer. I had no mm -hmm. interest right. in the family business. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I couldn't see the possibilities. I, my, my, one of my life verses I've been camping out really on, especially the last year, but for quite a while is in Ephesians three, when, when Paul says now to him is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even imagine. Um, mm -hmm. That's pretty powerful. But, but the part that we always leave out according to his power at work within us, he's going to do phenomenal things, but it's got to be through us and in order to get to that point. Um, there's often a lot of growth, a lot of healing, um, a lot of stuff that needs to grow and change in us. So that's why yeah. back then I couldn't imagine being here for 30 years now. <laughs> I would run even further away. I was already in California. I think I would have <laughs> jumped Different on a country. boat. <laughs> yeah. So then after you came back, what, what happened? What changed? Well, I, I actually did my, my master's project as a field study to come back. If you bring kingdom values into a very dysfunctional business, family business, um, there's a lot of different interact, inner, inner, uh, overlapping systems. You know, there's not only my parents and my sister, um, there's employees. Um, I'm the youngest of four children. I'm the only boy. So it was this experiment. I don't have much power in the family as the youngest, but as the family business manager, I can set the, the values. I can set the mm -hmm. culture, right? And anytime you try to change a culture, um, systems theory says you're going to get you're going to get a lot of resistance. You're going to get sabotage. It's going to, it's going to be hell. And I, I often say the two first two years were hell and then it got worse mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because everybody wants you to be the way they remember you. And everybody right. has, you know, a way of relating to you that fits their, their, maybe their dysfunction, their agenda. Um, right. Right. And when you change that threatens that, so out of the 17 employees, I think only one didn't tell me off and mm -hmm. either didn't explode at me, accuse me, 
Uh, we had three employees that tried to, uh, they, they did start their own business by, by stealing computer records and uh, just being incredibly unethical. So it was excruciating. Um, it, the stress, the frustration, uh, the depression, the anger, um, it just brought up all this junk in me that I didn't know was there, uh, brought up stuff in my wife that we didn't know was there. So at the 10 year right. mark, just to give you a, your audience a little snapshot, um, we finally took a real honeymoon at 10 years. Mm -hmm. And Tracy, my wife, she was going to tell me later, uh, she, she told me later that she was going to announce on this trip that she was leaving, that mm -hmm. she couldn't tell, couldn't, I couldn't take anymore. We had three, we had three long, young boys at the time. And that was kind of the low point, you know, of, of the journey. But uh, <laughs> you look back, it was downhill. I mean, literally right. for 10 years that right. we kept thinking how this has got to turn around. It's got to get better. And there's little victories in the midst of that, but not to a point where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. I just love being here. Um, mm -hmm. It took a long time to get to that point. So was the business profitable during this time? And like the stress yep. wasn't necessarily financial stress. It was other things that were just in conflict, in conflict with your core values, in conflict with where you saw the potential for the business to be. Yep. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep, correct. Uh, we were we were blessed with profitability. Uh, we're a, a custom gear manufacturer, so we're not a big production shop and there's a huge market for what we do. So the, the values that my dad built the business on quality value and service were rock solid. And we had a great customer mm -hmm. base. Um, the business model was, was wonderful, but like a lot of businesses in the trades and manufacturing, huge labor crisis for literally 20 years or more. I mean, mm -hmm. even going back even further. So we had plenty of customers. We had plenty to work, but to get people to work together and to put systems mm -hmm. in place where it was open communication and honesty and integrity and a commitment to excellence and, um, treating each other with respect, uh, getting rid of the quarter barrel, getting rid of the pornography. Uh, all of that was just excruciating. And, and and the work actually compounded it because we had so much work. Um, right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to envision this because really you weren't just creating culture change in your company. You were changing, um, I mean, this would have been more typical back then, right? Like if, if people were yeah. to go from your shop to somebody else, it would have been the culture shock um, if you changed. Yeah. Because really, this was the way you did business. Correct. <laughs> so um, people are looking at yeah. you like, why? why? This is yeah, working. Yeah. It's what everyone else does. Why? Well, and, and even give you a little bit more insight into it. Every day, my dad would go out to the local bar for lunch. And a few employees would go with them every Friday. I think three quarters of the shop would go with them. And so they would drink and the local bartender had the beer set up on the, on the bar. They'd mm -hmm. come down for lunch, drink four beers, get back to work at one, you know, even after mm -hmm. having four beers. And then at two 30, the day would typically be over for a lot of them. And they party literally from two 30 to five, six, seven o'clock. And you'd go to tool shows, machine shows, and there'd be the young ladies scantily clad and, and, it, mm -hmm. and people are going to strip clubs. And that was the, a lot of the culture for a lot of the shops back in the, you know, if we go back to the early 80s and 70s, 80s and early 90s. So you're right. 
changing that. I, <laughs> it's been 30 years and I still get people every once in a while that come like, yeah, I remember coming in with your dad. You guys still got the quarter barrel. Like, right. dude, that was a long time ago, but no, but you're right. right. There's been a great, a tremendous cultural shift just in how people do business today, which I think is fantastic in a lot of ways because integrity and excellence has to stand better. Yeah. So you were leading that for the company, but it, it would have, I mean, the amount of resistance. Whew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and a couple of my dad's, uh, his best, well, I shouldn't say his best, his closest employees were his drinking buddies. So I think back then, more than half of our, half of our staff were alcoholics. Mm -hmm. So they, mm. and they they were not happy <laughs> that we got rid of the quarter barrel. I mean, yeah. free beer and all that. So yeah, and I think that's as believers, we are called to be on that cutting edge of setting culture. You know, mm, I love that. Yeah, love that idea. I mean, could you even imagine where the business would be today if you hadn't gone through that level of resistance? Well, my wife and I are convinced my dad would have sold the business. He was trying to sell it at the time anyway, because um, right. he was starting to have some health issues. But I, I don't, I wouldn't be here for sure. And I don't, I don't think, uh, mm -hmm. I don't think Etcherton Gear would have existed at all. And I, and I question, and, and here's the really interesting thing, because I, I was so frustrated and angry for so long. And I've had to go through a lot of healing myself with great mentors and so on. And my wife right. and I both went through a lot of counseling to, to help us sort through all this. But one thing we realized that I'm so grateful for the whole experience and the pain and, and the journey is, you know, my dad's dad died a homeless person on the streets of Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. And so his, my dad's experience of a father was, he just didn't have much of a dad. And right. so my dad was trying to figure out what that looked like. And, and so he did better than my grandpa. Mm -hmm. um, he took us to another level, but that that generational alcoholism, which is, which is prevalent on both sides of my family, um, it needed to stop. It needed to end. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm grateful for is, again, coming back to the scene of the crime, God had to intervene and say, is it going to stop with you or not? Right. Mm -hmm. and, at, and I think a lot of us who grow up in dysfunctional situations, we have to make that decision. Will it stop with me? Is there gonna, am I going to continue this legacy of whatever addiction and, and dysfunction? So the really cool thing is we have, I have three sons. They're all grown. Um, all three are believers, married great gals um, or grandparents now. But we openly talk as a family, what's our legacy going to be now? Right. 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 And, I, and I don't know what God would have done if I didn't come, if we didn't come back. We would have been obviously doing something else, but could we have really gotten in touch with our dark side of our family if we weren't here facing it? It's huge stuff. You changed the legacy. And then I know, I mean, really, we haven't had much time to dig into the craftsman's creed yeah. that you have and that course. Yeah. And so is that part of what your kids look at as part of the legacy or is that really your calling still? Oh, it's, it's, uh, my, all three of my sons are into it. Very um, cool. so just for your audience, the, the crafts, we started a craftsman with character course where we had a, again, hiring crisis and 10 years ago, um, we started a course because we were struggling with how to get young people into the trades in manufacturing. And I was up at our local high school one day and they're, they're doing a referendum and, and they said, could you help us, you know, upgrade our tech ed department? And while I was up there, I saw, I feel like God spoke to me and said, take a look at these, these kids 
you know, that are, that are not your, <laughs> I call them the lost shop kids, right? They're the right. kids that don't fit in a lot of the traditional classrooms, mm-hmm. um, but they really are great working with their hands. And we tend to overlook those, those students. Absolutely. Yeah. And I felt that God said, take a look. Those are, those, these kids are you and mm-hmm. where, where are they going to go? And what other opportunities? So the idea came to, to develop this course that brings them into our shop four days a week for an hour and a half where they job shadow. And then one day a week, I developed this curriculum that works on character development and soft skills and kind of deconstructing their worldview of what they believe and why. And, um, and it's, I, I had to take out all the religious language because it's, yeah. it's accepted by the public schools. And that course has done more to change our company than anything I've done in 30 years. Um, we've, we taken 10 students at a time at the end of the course, maybe one or two of them are interested in staying at Edgerton gear. Uh, we put them through internship, youth apprenticeship, but the cool thing, we've got a number of businesses involved in the community now. So when the kids come in, they get to job shadow, you know, auto mechanics place with, with plumbers, with HVAC guys and, and, and really just kind of set them on a course and to explore where they might want to go in life. And now the course has expanded where I'm teaching at a free to lay plant in Beloit with a foundry mm-hmm. and a couple other places. And, um, I think everybody's looking at this generation saying, how do we help them? How do we help these kids find a place? Right, exactly. These, these kids want to work. I am, I have a totally different perspective. I'm not the, you know, sure. Maybe they are ghosting, you know, maybe yeah. they do show up for an interview and then ghost. but to be honest, the, we've created it, a space where they're like, you're not even worth my time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. or, right. or I know I'm not the right fit. Why should I even bother showing back up? Like, Maybe we could develop their communication to the point where they can say to us, hey, thank you for the interview. I'm not interested. But they're kind of like, it's not worth my time. I'm just not even going to text back. (laughs) But it doesn't mean they're all bad. You know, like we've got this, like, let's develop the character of those that are interested in working and help them in ways that they haven't been helped before. You're right. And I think our society is so broken. And years ago, a lot of the tech ed departments were shut down and we don't know how to reach these kids and we don't right. know how to introduce right. them to right. what opportunities are out there. And what I, my, and you know, millennials have always been ripped on, but what I found in my shop, if you put them in the right environment and you give Absolutely. them the tools, they are so much better at communication and they're so, you know, com- community and relationally, they're so much more healthy. They need mentoring. They want to be mentored. They want, yeah, they want it. But but it can't just be well. I want to I want to mentor you just so I can make money off you. They exactly. want, they, they need to know that you really care, and Absolutely. when they know you care, once they understand you cared, they're phenomenal. Hundred percent agree with this. This is yeah. my experience, and I feel like we can make just such a small difference in the world when there's so many that are crying and yeah. not physically crying, maybe, but just yeah. internally, not even knowing that this yeah. is what they're looking for because they don't know where to find it. Exactly. And that's where our craftsman course is so exciting to me because we're finding businesses literally all over the country who have this heart. And this is where I think from a faith perspective, I really believe that, that the Holy spirit is moving in a lot of blue collar folks. And, and I want to be honest, I think the church is not being as impactful. It needs to be schools are struggling. And I think God looks at like, okay, who are the unsung potential heroes, right? Love this. Who are the unsung potential heroes that could really change our culture and I am meeting so many on fire business people who are saying, just tell me what I can do to kid for kids. And they're not wanna they don't want to mentor just 
to solve their hiring crisis. They say, I don't care if I, if I get kids out of this program or not. I just want to help kids. I, I want to do, I want to be able to do something to help this next generation. And that's just awesome to me. Dave, yeah. I'm so in love with what you're presenting because I've always yeah. believed that that business is an amazing vehicle to create you know, exactly. some, some amazing things. I have some kind of a sentence around here somewhere. I can't remember what I wrote down, but it's along those lines of like, business yeah. is a vehicle that could be used as a tool to create this culture change and to create this yeah. shift in people's lives and really to help yeah. people empower them. And, and as, so as leaders grow yeah. in companies, then they can turn around and help other people. And really this is the best leadership that we're seeing. Yes. I, I, I look across our landscape and I, I literally, in my mind's eye, I see an army of, yeah. of untapped potential of folks who really want to do something significant for these kids. And, and so one of my messages when I, when I speak, I, I spoke at a university recently and the, the title of the, they wanted me to talk on how do you build a sustainable workforce? Mm -hmm. And the answer is we need to develop mentoring cultures within our businesses, yes. right? And my, and I just spoke again last week to a group and I said, you know, when I started this course 10 years ago, our average age in our shop was in the mid forties, mid, mid to upper, upper forties, right. 10 years later, they'd all be in their fifties, middle upper fifties, like a lot of shops are. Since we started this course, our average age in our shop is now 28. Yeah. And people are and like, that's appropriate, right? Yeah. And it was kind of funny the the one guy who hosted the event, he said, so Dave at the end, he said, so tell us do you have a bunch of job postings, you know, for all your positions in your shop? And I looked at him, I like, no, he's like, yeah. Hmm. So do you have like a waiting list of people that want to work there? And I go, and then I clued in what he was saying. I go, yeah, right. we actually do. And he just right. sat back and he went, huh. And he just let it hang there. And you see all right. these other business owners like what you have, right. you're fully staffed. You have a waiting list. And, and that's where a lot of people are at. A lot of businesses, they are just in crisis mode. And there's no silver bullet. We need to we need to develop mentoring cultures and, and bring these kids in and develop them. I want to throw a lot of stuff at you that's been rattling around in my head, and maybe it's not yeah. a lot, but it feels big. Okay. Um, so and and get your your feedback and your response on this because um, so right now you and I are in alignment on this and and the idea right now that there's so many people that can't find employees or that are struggling to find employees. I get it. It's not working to put an ad out there to bring people in, or if you are bringing people in, or if you are getting a lot of um, interviews or resumes, you know, either they're not the right fit or they're ghosting, yep. you know, after they show up for a day. But then I was talking to somebody who was involved in the local tech college. And um, mm -hmm. she said that business owners are, that she's hearing from business owners that they want the schools to create more structure because they think that that's what the kids are missing is more structure. Yeah. And that's how they're going to show up better is if the school systems present more structure. And I was like mind blown because I'm like, these kids need more freedom mm. in terms of like, they already have so much to give. Yeah. And are we really showing up in a way that is built for them? And, and I feel like there's this business owner mentality sometimes of like, I'm the one providing the job, you know, I'm paying you, you should show up because you should just be happy that there's money. And, and that's not what's motivating people. I mean, no. okay, no. again, this is my perspective that's just like bottled up inside right now because I really see this younger generation that's like, I can turn that computer on faster than you can and I can fix your problem. Yep. And you want me to show up the way you want me to show up. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then you want to change the education system based on what you think the problem is. Are yeah. we asking the right people? Are we asking the right questions? Not even close. Um, because, and you obviously know I have an opinion about everything. This is great. <laughs> um, I often say that no matter, no matter how old you are, no matter where you live, no matter your race, your ethnicity, your religion, everything, we are all wired purposely to need two things. And that's a sense of purpose, no matter how old we are, right? You look at people that retire, they still need a sense of purpose. These kids need a sense of purpose. Right. They need to, we need to know that we can make a contribution to the world. And the other thing, and along with that, we, we need relationship. We need healthy community. We need mm -hmm. to have quality friendship that people that care for us. So when you put those two things together and you look at this generation that's feeling, that's feeling so lost and our, our, our society is so broken, which even heightens th that awareness that, or that need for, for relationship and purpose. Right. Belonging, a sense of belonging. Yeah, it's even greater than yeah. ever with the shutdown and so on. So if, if you have kids that are, are so broken in this environment and you, 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 you pull them in and make them adhere to your structure without them knowing that you really care, they're, they are so desperate to fit in somewhere in the really, it's funny when I teach the class, I always ask the kids, you know, this is year nine. It's always the same answer. I said, guys, if you have a tremendous sense of purpose, you, know, you could cure for cancer or some great, incredible invention or, or whatever, but you have no one to share it with. What do you say? And they said, what's the point? Do they get that? Right. What's mm -hmm. the point? I need, we need to have that friendship. So I said, now flip it around. What if you have incredible friends, you just have a blast with them, people who care for you, but they have no sense of purpose. Just imagine that you're with your friends. You have no sense of purpose. For nine years, it's always the same answer. What, I said, what do you have? Trouble. We get in trouble. <laughs> and that's from them saying that. They get it. They, they right, know they need right. that sense of purpose and, 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 and being in right. a healthy relationship. They just create trouble. Yeah. So I, mm. back to your question, yeah. structure, well, yeah, but they need to know we care, right? And when and we bring the kids in, we we do shape them. We we do demand um, that they adhere to our values. I mean, we often say it's my house, my rules, and take your mm -hmm. hands out of your right. pocket, take you know, pull the hoodie off, look us in the eye, be respectful. Right. But but they respond to that because they know we care. I've had kids who say that are graduate through our program, we turn them into youth apprentices and other adult apprentices, and. 22 years old is saying, why would I ever leave here? Because this is family to me. Mm -hmm. And I think as mm -hmm. the, and the schools and the businesses are struggling because we're looking at skills, we're looking at apt, not even really aptitude. We're just, we're just looking for, for them to be workers. They need to know we care. Right. 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 And so that's where I'm coming from is, is when these kids know you care, you got to earn that right to be heard. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, 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 and it's not that hard. Apprenticeship has been around for thousands of years, but somehow mm -hmm. in our high tech, rapid paced culture, we've lost that sense of connection and friendship with these kids. So interesting. I was just talking to another young person that's, you know, quitting the current job and then looking for what's next. And he'd like to move into the trades yeah. and he doesn't even know where to start. He doesn't even know you know, he puts in a couple applications at a couple of the places that seem a little obvious, or maybe the ones that have the job postings, the structure that's missing is how 
do you actually get a job in real life that's yeah. not just, you know, go to college, but then yeah, what's next? Well, it's, we're missing the on-ramp, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, and so when, when and I actually just had a, a long talk with a friend of mine yesterday that works with vets getting out of the military mm. when they're 22, 23, 24. And right. he said, could we use your... There, there's got to be an overlap because we're seeing the same thing. These kids get out of the military. They get out of high school. No idea what's out there. No idea right. what opportunities, where they might fit. So the craftsman course, there's this job shadowing element that allows them to see all different trades, all different opportunities, all different businesses. And, and, and we're in the youth apprenticeship. We love youth apprenticeship. We love adult apprenticeship. But I often, but I often say that we're, we're throwing the businesses and the kids together like a blind date. You know, mm-hmm. we don't, right. Right. kids don't know if they're going to like that. They businesses don't know if they like, if they're going to like the kids. So by, by allowing people to explore the opportunities while we're working on their character and showing them the soft skills that they need to be successful right. by the time they finish the course going, Oh yeah, I want to be a heavy equipment operator. I want to be a machinist. And then yeah. we can guide them into those careers without spending 200 K on a college degree that might be very useless for what they're interested right. in compared to what they're interested in. Um, but we're so focused on test scores and four-year universities and so on that we're not looking at the kids as individuals saying, where would you best fit, you know, yeah. in the world and how, and the world needs you. That's one of our, that's number four in our craftsman code. The world's need me, needs me mm-hmm. and which, and which I haven't gotten into, but you know, our craftsman code. Number one is I'm not the center of the universe. Right. <laughs> and they make the kids. And then number four that. is the world needs me. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And number yeah. two is I I don't know everything nearly as much as I think I do, and it's not a smackdown for the kids. It's just a, it's mm-hmm. helping them understand that our our society and our industries are built on the shoulders who came before us. So have some respect for the right. past and always be a learner. God's made you with with very unique skill sets and an aptitude that only you can fulfill. We just have to figure out where you fit. Right. 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 So, and then three, that's three. There's dignity and purpose in knowing my trade. Mm. Because again, we look at jobs, some jobs, we have this hierarchy in our mind that some jobs are more prestigious or right. valuable than others. No, right. we, and I think COVID has shown all of us that every job is essential. You take one right. peg out of the, the supply chain, um, the whole thing crumbles. And mm-hmm. so helping kids and, you know, in our society, we always make fun of the the plumbers and other people, the blue collar folks were just, I, I always, I go back to, um, you may remember the old, uh, the Roseanne show, which Roseanne Barr, um, some of these blue, the way they put media and TV and Hollywood right. portrayed blue collar folks is disgusting, right. but that's what the kids grow up on. So we have to re, you know, kind of retrain them that, man, there's dignity in being a truck driver, right. a, a lumberjack. I mean, there's so many different jobs. So it's restoring that sense of dignity. I used to hire trades. for so many of those positions and they, the people that were applying, they did respect their roles, you know, like yeah. maybe the outside um, perspective. And like you say, society and the media is portraying them as not, but within the community, they have yep. so much respect for each other. Yep. And I love to see that. It doesn't matter if you're carrying a yeah. hammer or, you know, like, you know how to use a toolbox or, yeah. or if you're getting in the truck. But so I want to go back to the comment that you made about like this vision that you have of all these business owners and they are wanting to step up and help and solve yeah. some of this. Where do you see yourself in that now? Well, for me, I'm, you know, I'm turning 60 soon. And my, my last phase of life, the way I see it is if, how can I facilitate that? 
How can yeah. I help other businesses and schools implement a program like this? Um, so that's where I'm spending a, a good part of my time right now is helping businesses like Frito-Lay, for instance, when they, they decided in, down here in Beloit, Wisconsin to take it on, they said that they have 1,300 maintenance mechanics nationwide in their 31 plants, right? They said a full two-thirds of those could retire in the next five years. Ooh. So that's just, that's just one, in, one corporation, right? So there is a tremendous crisis you know, nationwide, if not globally. So they mm -hmm. said, if we, they took on the course, my gosh, we have to put this everywhere. So mm -hmm. my passion is how can we help other businesses and communities replicate this? The interesting thing is when I talk to, to businesses, everybody's all in. Guess who's reluctant? Can you guess where the, the roadblock is? The schools? Schools. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> over and over Ouch. and over. They, oh. they, they, um, they think they got their own thing. Yeah, we do apprenticeship. We do this, mm -hmm. we do that. I, I have one, one community I'm working with now. Um, I have four large businesses within three blocks of each other. They're saying, we want this. We need to do this. How do we do it? We've gotten a hold of the superintendents in their, you know, in their district. Now we're good. We got stuff going on. And I'm yeah. going to put, why am I getting calls then from your yeah. four businesses in your school district if you're if you've got it if you're doing fine, um, and I and I don't I don't want to come down too hard on the schools. Um, they have a lot going on. They have a lot of stress. It's so right. driven by right. test scores and finances right. and so on. But if you took an honest look at the data, mm -hmm. how many of your youth apprentices are actually completing that, right? And mm -hmm. and I think in a lot of areas it's less than fifty percent. Um, mm. how connected are these kids really getting into your communities? How well are they finding their career path instead of just shoving them off to a four-year university? But then we find a school like Beloit Memorial um, and, and they're just like, oh my gosh, this is great because not all, not all kids are meant to go to, to four-year university. Right, right. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for God to keep. And the funny thing is I'm not advertising. I'm not looking for right. opportunities, but I'm getting you know, at least a, a call or email every week. Hey, can we do this? You know, I got two courses starting in Houston in January. Um, um, we're trying in several places in Milwaukee, the Green Bay area, Beloit, obviously in our own county, we'll probably have three different courses going on. So who's so, yeah. facilitating the courses then? Is it the business owners or, or how is that working? So the way it has to happen is because we know the schools are reluctant, right. we, we, we look at that business that has the credibility in the community that can get other businesses on board. And then ideally okay. that business hosts the course and kind of helps coordinate with the school district where the kids get the job shadow. But we got to get the kids off the school campus because if you remember back when we were teenagers, you know, you get the Charlie Brown voice going on mm -hmm. with your parents and with the teachers, but you get a, you step into a, a professional manufacturing or a trade environment with older adults, you're, you're, you're all ears and you're respectful. Right. Right. You're intimidated, right. you, you want to learn. And that's where we found out part of the magic is, is that you, you host it at a, at a, at one of the businesses and then the job sharing part of it, the, that's the other magic. The kids start de developing relationships with these wonderful people that really want to make a difference and invest in these kids. This is amazing. So when you're thinking about what's next and sharing this message and, and is there anything else that you would love for people to know that we haven't expressed already? I think we covered a lot of it. Um, I think the big thing to me is that the, the blue collar segment of our society doesn't grasp how impactful 
that we really are, how important mm -hmm. that we are to our communities. Um, the media doesn't give us a lot of props. We're, we're often taken for granted and overlooked. And, I, and even at our churches, I mean, I think right. a lot of times working people are looked at as just the checkbook for our ch churches. And I don't mm -hmm. mean to be too negative about it, but that's been my personal experience. And, mm -hmm. and in reality, you know, the pastors and, and so on in the churches, they're supposed to equip people like us. We're the bedrock of our communities. We are the change agents in our community. We really are the ones that, quote, do the work of the ministry of bringing the kingdom into every aspect of our, of our community. So whatever job you have, wherever your God's got you planted, I think we totally underestimate the power of God's goodness in our lives to change our, our businesses. And you don't have to be a business owner, just a, a person working in the business. We all have this incredible mm -hmm. sphere of influence that we can be incredibly impactful, but we just don't believe it right? Yeah. I think we tend to overlook it and realize, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. Yeah. I think you're absolutely speaking truth there. And we recently um, dug into the life languages, personality assessments. I know yeah. you're, you've yep. done some, I don't know if you knew that one, but you know, I was actually on Gary Chapman's podcast uh, last no year. Just thinking about the different voices and the different languages that people speak and recognizing that when you said, you know, that the blue collar sometimes isn't given a voice or they don't speak up and have a voice. You know, there's some yeah. professions that it's easier to hear them. You know, maybe there's more of a right. sales sales yeah. profession or someone that's out there in the community because they're more of a relationship-based business and financial advisor yeah. or something yeah. like that. You know, if they wear a suit or if they're a professional, you know, considered an really expert in their field yeah. you know, versus this quiet force that's the doers, you know, just quietly making things happen. Yeah. Yeah. or contemplators, you know, that are thinking about all the things that could yeah. be changed, but just not speaking up very loudly. And so um, I, I love to see everyone's gifts and talents and how they can be used. Yeah. And I and I do agree that there is um, there are so many that are just not as vocal yep. <laughs> and, yep. and yet have yep. a presence. And that presence is exactly. very impactful. Exactly. Yeah. Well, even, even in our course, when I started it nine years ago, I asked within my own shop, hey, do I have any volunteers that would want to be mentors? You right. Just have a kid looking over your shoulder for 90 minutes a day. And I had one gentleman, um, just really rough, broken life. I mean, he really, he, he really has been through it on a lot of levels. And he timidly came up to me after he goes, well, I'd like to be, but I have nothing right. to offer, right? Right. Well, for nine years, mm -hmm. guess who's one of the kid's favorite mentors? Right. That's so awesome. And he's he's an introvert. He's very much just one on one, very, very quiet. Right. But when he but that one on one interaction is which, you know, that's where relationships really happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that just reminds me or it doesn't matter who you are. You, you, can, you are impactful much more so than you realize. Just right. your, like you said, right. your presence. The, and I, I talk about theology of presence. If the spirit of God is in us, we cannot help but to be impactful and, and make a difference in those around us. Yeah, absolutely. I love to think about it as if we're at a funeral of a close friend or something, there really isn't anything we can do to make the situation right. better. You know, especially right. for doers, that can be a challenge, right? Yep. You're a hands-on yep. person and you're just like, oh, I, can't, I feel like I can't do anything. Then, yeah. But your presence, your being, who you are, your character, what you stand for, yep. that's all they need. That's all they want, right? Yep. Maybe there's, you know, a hug. So there's some touch like, or something like that. But but really what means the most is who you are and that yeah. you're showing up. Well, and, and the other thing that I would add to it is we give who we are. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I think, you know, we all have issues. We all have our addictions. We all right. have our wounds. And I, and I, and I think we also fail to realize that the, that as we strive to walk with God, as we strive to be who he called us to be and all this, all the garbage in our lives gets exposed and dealt with, we become healthier and right. we, and then God can, you know, working through a cleaner vessel. And it, it really, it kind of adds another, a, another level of, I'm not sure what the word is, responsibility or motivation. Say, so you know what? Um, I need to get my act together. I need God to really clean me up because there's so many mm-hmm. broken people around me. I've got an older, older friend that we were meeting with last year. We were just chatting. And I said, you know, Larry, it's, and, and Larry is just man of the year in his community and just incredible the stuff. He's adopted kids. He's on all these boards with why, I mean, just everywhere. And when you get to know him personally, his, he's in the middle of so many messes. It just blows your mind. And and it's so frustrating for him. I said, Larry, do you ever consider that the longer we walk with God, the bigger the messes he calls us to? Exactly. That's exactly it. But you think of it, right? If the longer we walk with God and we can can strive to be faithful and a good steward of all that he gives us, he's going to say to what Jesus talks about in the the parables. He's going to give us more. And giving us more doesn't mean more vacations and and more material <laughs> wealth and more ease and comfort he's going to give us more to steward and mm. that means bigger messes oh man a future to look forward to exactly <laughs> <laughs> and, and it goes right along lines when when you read the gospels and you read the new testament there's this element of suffering right yeah anybody who wants to live a godly life will suffer will be persecuted and I think suffer is, is probably the, the better way of saying that because to to love and to to be that vessel of goodness, we have to take on all this. We have to be in the midst of all the garbage of our world, mm-hmm. right? We can't we can't address it from the outside. Fringe. We have to be in the midst right. of it, right? We can't right. be fringe people, exactly. Right, right. So we have to be willing to stand there and take the hits and the accusations and. You know, our, our model is our savior, right? Mm. So I, and you start incorporating all these character qualities of what God's goodness looks like. I mean, being humble and trustworthy and, and, and respectful and all of that, boy, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road and we're at work every day to live all that out. Mm -hmm. And that's when people go, whoa, there's something different about how you, how you're living your life and how you do your job. I think that's and that's that's what it gets me excite me. That's what excites me because I think the kingdom is so relevant. Well, and we didn't even mention my book. In fact, yeah, I I was going to ask. Yeah, good work. How blue collar business can change lives, communities, and the world. And if anybody wants to email me or get a hold of you, I'd gladly send a book because I just believe so strongly in in uh, what God wants to do in us and through us. That is super awesome. Thank you so much for that gift, and we will definitely share that. And I appreciate it. I know my son read the book and really liked it. So cool. (laughs) You're definitely changing lives already. Dave, it has been such a pleasure to dig into all of these concepts and thoughts and my pleasure. Really? Yeah. You're a thought leader in an industry that needs it. So I I appreciate appreciate that. Well, appreciate the opportunity and what you're doing. We need to, we need to do more of this, right? Yeah. Get the word out there. Well, thank you. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jamie.